0: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Uh, Something we're doing over the next year or two is every Friday, uploading an old sermon to the podcast. We have about a year and a half worth of recorded sermons that were preached before we had a podcast. So we want to archive those onto the podcast. So every Friday, enjoy one of our old sermons. These will be uploaded until such time as we have them all archived. So enjoy this sermon uh, from the past. In your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We are concluding a 10-week series today called The House of God. We've been talking about the church. Um, who is the church? What does the church do? And we've been talking about that so that we can be the best church possible in knowing who the church is. So today we'll conclude in Ephesians chapter 5. I love my bride. I love her a lot. I love so many different things about her. I love traveling with her. I love how supportive she is of me when I feel like nobody else is. I love um, her heart for ministering to other women. I love her sense of humor. She's the greatest woman I know. And, and if that's how I feel about my bride, how must Christ feel about the church? How, must, how much must Christ love the church? There's a reason the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. It certainly uses a lot of other analogies. We're the children of God, where Jesus calls us his friends, we're the house of God. But the deepest relationship on earth is, is that of a husband and a wife. It was the first relationship God created on earth. In the beginning, God created man. Um, It was not good that man would be alone, so he made Eve to be the helper of Adam, so that they could become one flesh in marriage. In the fabric of our world, marriage is the foundational relationship. As a parable for God's love for his people, God made the relationship of the husband and the wife. If you're a man, you might be a little freaked out at being called a bride. Um, it's not that the church, it's not that as the church we are a bride in the earthly sense. You know, we, we don't wear makeup and go shopping and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the relationship between a husband and his bride is a picture of how Christ loves the church. The passage we're going to read today is a marriage passage, but we're not, going to, we're not going to talk about marriage within it as far as on the earthly sense goes. We're going to talk about what marriage is pointing to. So Ephesians 5, I'm going to pick up in the middle of verse 25. Christ loved the church. He's already said that husbands are to love their, cri- their wives as Christ loved the church. And he talks about how Christ loved the church. There was a guy who um, he was really in love with, with a girl. He had been in a relationship with her for two or three years. Um, this girl was not a picture-perfect girl by any means. Um, she was not very pretty. She was maybe like a four on a ten scale she had a gap between her teeth. She had acne all over her face. She kind of looked like ugly Betty. She had quite a bit of debt. She had college loans and a car payment and credit card debt from just an unhealthy spending habit. She had a pretty messed up family. That They were just angry all the time. They were super critical. Most of them didn't get, even get along with each other. Um, she didn't have an aspiring career. She was currently the late-night clerk at one of those sketchy gas stations. She was barely making ends meet. She had kind of a bad personality. She was really bitter all the time. She was really down on herself. She, was, she had been in a few fights in her day. She even had a criminal record. But this guy loved this girl. He loved her. Nobody understood Why? because he was the complete opposite of her. He was a really handsome guy, was really well put together, had blonde hair, blue eyes, his white teeth sparkled when he smiled. Ding. He had a degree in engineering from an Ivy League school. He was really far ahead financially. He had no debt. He had a growing retirement fund and he had tens of thousands of dollars in a savings account. He had a family that loved him dearly, especially he had a great relationship with his father. His father had taught him everything he, he knew in life. He had a great relationship with his mother, too. He was a humble man. He spoke when he needed to speak, and he knew how to be silent as well. His, um, he had truly an adventurous spirit to him. He was smart. He, he wasn't usually stumped by any question. And he loved this girl, Nobody understood why, but he truly loved her. So he decided he wanted to marry her. He went to the jewelry store, and he walked in with a smile on his face. And the the guy there said, you look like you're here to buy a ring. And he said, I am. I want the best ring you got, because I've got a really special girl. He purchased a beautiful ring. It shined brightly under a light. He wanted the very best for the treasured woman that he had. He went to speak to her family about marrying her, and they wanted nothing to do with it. They told him that they didn't like anything about him. They told him that if they got married, they would not be welcome in this family anymore. But they were grown adults, and they loved each other. And the guy told the family that he's terribly sorry, but he really loves their daughter, and he's going to marry her. Her father gets really upset. He slams his beer can down on the table. He grabs a shotgun and chases the guy out of the house. The guy quickly flees as fire, as shotgun shells are getting fired at him. He makes it out alive. He's determined to marry this girl. It doesn't matter that her family doesn't approve. It doesn't matter that none of it makes any sense. He knows that in marrying her, everyone is going to look at him weird. Why in the world would you marry ugly Betty when you could have Jessica Simpson? He knows in marrying her, he receives all of her debt, her credit card debt, her student loan debt. He's also aware of her terrible spending habits. He knows that she never receives a compliment he gives her. He knows that she has a criminal record and he has she has a job at a really gross gas station. But he loves her. It's all worth it. So he proposes to her, and they get married. In that moment, she gets all of the money in his savings account, contributed to her income, and he receives all of her debt. He makes, he makes so much money in his job that, that she can quit her job at the sketchy gas station, and all of her debt is immediately paid off, just like that. In that moment, she becomes part of a really great family. Her, his mother and father treats her in ways that her family has never treated her. Though the entire world told her she was worthless, the love of her groom has given her complete value and worth. Though she did not deserve it, he loved her. I I want you to understand, this is the story of Christ's love for the church. I made this whole thing up based on the story of Christ and the church. Christ is altogether beautiful. He is altogether lovely. He is worthy of all praise and honor. He is seated in glory. He has angels right now literally crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. He he was in perfect fellowship with his Father and the Holy Spirit, and he stepped away from that to come save humanity. But the church was ugly Betty. There was nothing pleasing about us. We were despicable. We had so big of a debt that we would never be able to pay it. We stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. We were not beautiful. We had a shady past. We had a shady position in life. We had habits of spending that were really unhealthy. We were among a crazy family that wanted nothing to do with the groom and wanted to kill him. We had no direction of where we were going, but Christ loved us. We have no idea why. We don't know what was so attractive to him that he loved us, but he did. He did. Christ came into the world and he sought us out. We were not looking for him. You know, Forrest Gump is asked by Lieutenant Dan, have you found Jesus yet? He says, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir. Because we weren't looking for him. We were not looking for Christ when he came. And then Christ gave the marriage proposal. He was nailed to a cross for us. He died on the cross, securing salvation for us. The gospel. When Christ was dying there, he was taking my place. I deserve to be there because I'm a sinner. And so did all of us. We deserved to hang on a cross ...and endure the wrath of God, and Christ took that. Christ loved the church. The wedding day is coming. The proposal has happened. The wedding day is coming. Christ is going to descend from heaven and gather up all those who know him. And we're going to be caught up in the clouds. It's going to be something like a bride walking down the aisle to her groom. And we're going to be with him forever. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. He gave up his life. He did the most loving thing someone could do. In dying for us, we understand that Jesus took our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's, we were here, we were unrighteous. Christ was here, he was righteous. He traded places with us. He, he, He became sin, we received righteousness. When Jesus died, He took on our sin. Upon the cross, as He looks upon sinners, uh, God looked upon Jesus on the cross as He looks on sinners when He judges them. And God looked upon the church while Jesus was on the cross as if they had never sinned. That is, if you know Jesus, when Jesus was dying on the cross, God now looks at you as though you have never sinned in your life and never will. When Jesus was dying on the cross, God was looking at you as if you never sinned once. This is the love story of Christ and the church. Jesus loves the church. But the world, and even some Christians, really love to hate on the church, don't they? It's known of Mahatma Gandhi. He was a um, guy that lived in India several years ago. He, he's quoted it saying... I, love your, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. Jesus didn't come to die for us because we were like him. He came and died for us because we were desperately unlike him. We were not even close. He saved us because left to ourselves, we would have gone straight to hell, skipping and cheering about it the whole way. We would have loved what we were doing going there. The world and some Christians love to hate on the church. Several years ago, um, a video went viral on the internet. It was called, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And it was a guy, um, kind of a guy in his 30s doing a spoken word poem. And he was talking about how terribly religious people have treated people. That, and, and that Jesus came away to do away with all that. So he was talking about how, you know, we, we've treated um, single moms terribly and, and all these different people terribly. And, and he said, he, he basically talked badly about religion and said that Jesus is, is different from religion. And in a sense, he was correct. The hypocritical religion of the Pharisees was despicable and is despicable. But the video came off to many as ammunition to hate on the church people use the excuse all the time for not coming to church that it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites well so is Walmart so is chick-fil-a so is Publix so is the hair salon so is the gym so is Tiff County bowling alley Everywhere's full of hypocrites because no everybody is a hypocrite nobody 100% lives up to their word and what they say they believe there's not a person on earth who does Everybody's a hypocrite. Born-again Christians are the people who are willing to admit they are one. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, he said in in Romans 7, Why do I do the things that I hate, and why do I I not do the things that I love? Why why does my body continue to pursue the things that aren't God and and run from God himself? Why? This is the Apostle Paul. This isn't Jethro. This This is the Apostle Paul. And he struggled with hypocrisy. All I can say is, I love my bride. Jesus loves his bride. And if you come after my bride, I'm gonna come after you. So how much how much Jesus feel about about his bride? If you come after it's probably true of, of all of you husbands here to say that if somebody comes after your wife, you will come after them. You 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 attack the bride, you deal with the groom. Why Jesus? Why did he love the church? Because Jesus knows the church isn't perfect. He knows. He, he, he knows very often the church isn't like him. Often people have this idea that Jesus is up in heaven, and every time the church makes a mistake, every time the church is in the news for something stupid, he's sitting up there like, Come on, you stupid people! Get it together! Ah. That's not what Jesus is doing. He knows we're going to make mistakes. He knows we're going to screw up. He knows there's going to be blunders and sins and all of that. It's a really dumb understanding to think Jesus expects the church to be perfect. Every sin, every mistake the church ever makes is already known by Jesus and he still died for them. He still took the cross for them. Nothing the church does surprises him. Not a single thing. When he died, he knew every sin you were ever going to commit, and his death marked them as paid in full. So why did Jesus die for the church? He died to cleanse her. Verse um, 26. That he might cleanse her. Jesus cleansed the church, it says, with the washing of water with the word. What, what does that mean? It means that the, the word here it's referring to is the gospel. The gospel was announced to us as good news. If you're here and you're saved and you've become part of the church, you have to, if you are here to be saved, let me try that again. If you're going to be saved, you have to hear the gospel and you have to believe it. That, that's how we receive salvation. When you believe, you become cleansed. Every sin you have ever committed or will ever commit is forgiven. You inherit all the righteousness and blessing of Christ. You become part of the church. This is what Jesus died for. He didn't die to reveal to you your value. People love to to say that, like, you know, you were just so valuable and Jesus had to show you that. No, he died because you needed cleansing. You were a rebel and an enemy of God, spitting in his face, and he came and died for you. That's the gospel. You were filthy in your sins and you needed to be washed with the word. That's what happened when Jesus died for you. That that he might cleanse us, and then that he might sanctify us. That's, that's, That's in 26 as well. Jesus is sanctifying the church. Sanctification, as I've told you many times, it's a big word. Basically, it means the process by which Jesus makes us holy. He's making us holy. That is, as we follow Jesus, he does a work in you to make you more like himself. He's constantly working on you. He's painting a masterpiece. He's constantly working in new details. He's working in you to where there are sins you may have struggled with 10 years ago that aren't even a thought to you today. But now there's new ones there that have surfaced that have come to light that you're dealing with. You have to pursue sanctification. You don't just get saved and then Jesus works in you while you're just doing your own thing. No, you actively choose to follow Jesus and make steps toward Him, and He does a purifying work in you. It, it works together. He, you know all those problems that everyone talks about the church having? Well, Jesus uses sanctification to work those things out. He uses his sanctifying and cleansing power to work out those things. Look at how he puts it in verse 27. That he might present the, the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It's like it's a, it's a wrinkled fabric and he's ironing out the wrinkles. So, some, of the, some of our issues we should have gotten over years ago, and we haven't, both as a church and individually. Individually in our lives, there are some issues that we struggle with that we should have gotten over years ago. There's some issues that Christ hasn't worked out yet. He hasn't ironed out that wrinkle yet. He, he's still working on it. I, as your pastor, I'm a sinner. And, and I could tell you ten sins that I actively struggle with without even thinking about it. I mean, I could just name them out. And there's more than that, too, but just ten I could name off the top of my head. You know, I can't necessarily pursue sanctification and all those sins at the same time because I have a finite mind, and I can't deal with all of that at the same time. So I work on one at a time. You know, so I say, Lord, please help me with my complaining. I complain a lot, and I don't want to because it's dishonoring to you, and it's the opposite of thankfulness. So help me not complain anymore. And so I spend some time working on that. And so every time I am about to complain, I stop and catch myself and I take that thought captive. While I'm focused on that, I'm still putting time into other struggles, but but I'm not necessarily able to give as much time to my critical spirit or to my gluttony or to my laziness or to my anxiety or to my tendency to never rest or to my bitterness. I I, I work on those things, but I can't necessarily put as much time into those while I'm focusing on this one. So, So all of those things are not going to work themselves out at the same time. I read a book recently talking about the Christian life. It described it as a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. We want Christianity to be, to be a quick weekend experience. We come and we have an emotional experience, and all of our sins and issues are gone. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's not any of our lives. None of us you know, have an emotional experience, and we're perfect. No. Christianity, the Christian walk, is a long, hard journey over our entire life. Of following Jesus and getting back up when we stumble. When we trip. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's working out every spot and wrinkle in us. He says he's going to do that to, verse 27, to present the church to himself in splendor. He's going to present the church to himself wholly and without blemish, without a single flaw. He's currently working in the church to take ugly Betty and make her the in, into the most stunning bride anyone has ever seen. And he's not finished yet. Christ is still preparing a spotless lamb for the wedding day. Revelation 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Christ is preparing our white robes by his blood. The wedding day is coming. The clouds will open and Christ will descend, and all believers on earth will be caught up in the clouds and presented to their groom, and they will be with him forever and ever and ever. The wedding day is coming. Christ is going to present the church to himself in splendor. All of this is because of the simple, unbelievable fact that Jesus loves the church, He loves the church. Jesus loves the church, and you should too. You should love the church too. We should love the things Jesus loves, and Jesus loves the church. We, we love the church by doing all the things we've talked about over the past 10 weeks. We we love the church by doing those things. We trust Jesus to build His church. We seek to be filled with the Spirit. We make it a point to, to be together and gather together at church, come to church. We, we do everything we can to be here on Sunday. We love one another. We do everything we can to stand in awe of God. We, we do everything we can um, to reach the lost, to, to multiply, to reach the next generation. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in worship of our God. We hear the preaching of the word and we take it to heart and figure out how we can use it to to transform our lives. We practice faithful church membership. But we should also love the church in the same way as that Jesus loves the church presented here. If we want to be like Christ, we must love the church the way Christ loves the church. So how does he love the church? Well, first of all, he serves the church. He gave up his life for the church. Verse 25, he gave himself up for her. Jesus gave up his life for the church. He did not come to serve, to be served. He came to serve though he's the only one who deserved to be served. None of us deserve service, only he does. And he came to serve. People often ask the question, what would you do if you only had one more day to live? Would you go skydiving? Would you go eat at your favorite restaurant? Would you you know, get someone to get you to meet your favorite athlete? What would you do? Well, Jesus knew it was his last day to live, and he got down on his on the ground and washed his disciples feet. That, that's, that's what he did. Remember, Jesus loves the church. When you love someone, you serve them. First John three 16. I quoted a lot. It's, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us and we should give up our lives for one another. We should serve one another and we should serve the church. So we should serve the church. We should share the word. He um, washes the church with the water of the Word. We should share the Word. People become part of of the Bride of Christ through hearing the Word and believing. That's the only way. Christ washes them with the Word. So we must share the Word. We must tell them the Gospel so they can believe. This whole 10 weeks, I've been emphasizing who's your one. There's somebody in your life that that needs the gospel, that needs you to reach out to them. So, So how are you doing in that? This is the last week. Next week, we're having High Attendance Sunday. I've told you, invite that person. And, and we're going to, um, I'm going to preach the gospel next week. I'm, I'm going to preach that saving message. So I've told you to intercede, pray for them, invest in them, seek to grow your relationship with them and invite them to Jesus and invite them to church. Intercede, invest and invite. Invite them to church next Sunday. We serve the church, we share the word, we seek to see the church grow. That's what Jesus does. He wants to present the church as spotless and without wrinkle. That happens through growth. Christ is making the church more beautiful. He's working out every spot and wrinkle. We must love the church by seeing this come to happen. We do this through serving the church and sharing the word, the two things I've just named. If you're not serving somewhere, let me challenge you to find somewhere to serve. Now, maybe you say, well, nominating committee is almost over. I'm not talking about serving on a committee. Well, what are your gifts? What are your passions? There's somewhere we could use those. Are you a musician? Let's use you up here. Uh, are you good on the Internet? Let's let's get you working on our social media and our YouTube page. I need help in that. Uh, are, are you good at facilitating discussion? Let's get you to lead some kind of discipleship class or uh, of some kind. Uh, We're launching a Sunday school class for for people in their 20s in a couple weeks. I'm going to start out teaching that. Eventually, I want to pass that on to somebody else and let them serve. There's no shortage of places we can use you to serve, so serve. And let's talk about receiving the word and sharing it. We're going to do something starting on August 25th. That's the day the 20s class is launching. We're going to do something in Sunday school. We're going to have a um, Sunday school, back to Sunday school emphasis that day. The end of August, well, the beginning of August here, where, where I'm from, the end of August is when kids go back to school. So we're going to go back to Sunday school. What we're going to do is for nine weeks, we're going to make a goal of having 100 people in Sunday school every week. We're going to be doing a study together with Right Now Media. It's a ministry we partnered with. We want to showcase that to you, and we want to have the entire church studying the book of Ephesians together. That's the book we're in today. We're going to work our way through that book in nine weeks. Right Now Media is incredible. Millie Thompson came to faith off of Right Now Media. Let's use it. Look. If, if we want to come to love the church more, we should learn more about the church. And that's what the book of Ephesians is going to teach us. So come to Sunday school for nine weeks. If you haven't been to Sunday school in a while, I'm asking you to start by committing nine weeks. August 25th through October 20th. You need to be receiving the word in the congregation, but also in the small group. That's what Sunday school is. Jesus had 120 people who followed him around, but he had 12 disciples, 12 people he invested a whole lot more time, and every Christian needs that. They need the congregation, they need the Sunday school class, the small group. When you receive the word, it transforms you to love the church through serving and sharing the word. That's how the church grows, through the word. When all the members are growing together, the church grows. So let's do this. The bottom line is this. Jesus loves the church. He's not sitting in heaven annoyed with the church. He delights over the church like a groom delights over his bride. If we want to become more like Jesus, we should love the church too. So let's love the church. You may be here and you're not part of the church. Not that you're not a member here. You're not part of the bride of Christ. Friend, currently you're an enemy of God. But there's still hope for you. There's still hope. If you believe in the word of the gospel, you can be saved. If you will turn from your sins and believe that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying in your place and surrender your life to him, you can be saved and you will become part of the bride of Christ. We're going to have a response time in just a minute. You can come forward and talk to me about that, and I'll walk you through what that looks like. You can become God's friend. You can become God's child. You can be saved from eternal judgment and have everlasting life. You will literally become part of his bride. If you're uncomfortable coming up here in front of everyone, that's okay. My phone number and email is on the bulletin. Call me, email me. I'll come to your house. I'll get coffee with you. We'll meet up. If you're a lady, I'll bring Adrienne. You can talk with her as well. Understand, this isn't a one-time decision you're making to embrace Jesus. It's like a wedding. You're becoming part of a bride. You're making a decision to become part of that bride. You're make, make sure this is a decision you want to make and come. Let's pray. Father, when I think about my love for my wife, it's, it's but a mere shadow of how much you love us of how much you love the church. Oh, Lord, we praise you for loving us when we did not deserve it. We did not deserve your love. And you, for some reason, came and sought us out when we weren't looking for you. Oh, how marvelous you are. How good you are. Oh, God, would you help us to know that love better and to love the church ourselves? Lord, would you help us to love the groom and love the bride that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Now's your time to respond. I'll be here at the front. If you want to stay where you're at or come up, um, do what the Lord leads you to do.